0: Welcome to episode 176 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week my guest is Melissa Washington. Melissa was one of the panelists in episode 173 where we highlighted the importance of sharing the stories of women, so I wanted to have her on as a guest for Her story in the military and so that's what this episode is about. She served in the Navy and when she was in the Navy she met her husband who was a Marine and they were able to stay connected even though they were stationed in different places and deployed and they eventually got married when she left the Navy and she was a military spouse. But she was looking for a community and she started meeting with about 20 women veterans in Sacramento which has now turned into Women Veteran Alliance which is an organization to connect women veterans and they have resources to help women veterans conferences a magazine and much much more and so we talked about her experience in the navy and what she's doing today to help women veterans Women of the Military podcast would like to thank Sabio Coding Bootcamp for sponsoring this week's episode Savio Coding Bootcamp is a top-ranked coding bootcamp that is 100% dedicated to helping smart and highly motivated individuals become exceptional software engineers. Visit their website at www.sabio.la to learn how you may be able to use your GI Bill of Benefits to train at Savio. Your tuition and monthly BAH stipend may be paid during your training period. They are also 100% committed in helping you find your first job in tech. So don't forget to head over to www.sabio.la to learn more. And one last thing before we get started... For the month of March, I've decided to run a giveaway and I'm giving away three copies of my book, Women of the Military. If you would like a signed copy of Women of the Military, all you have to do is either share the podcast on social media and make sure to tag me or you can leave a review on your favorite podcast app and make sure you send it to me either on social media or to my email at airmentomom at gmail.com. So if you would like to want a copy, of women of the military, make sure to share the podcast or leave us a review. And now let's get started with this week's episode. Welcome to the show, Melissa. I'm excited to have you here. Thanks Amanda, happy to be here. So I always like to start with why did you decide to join the military? Couple reasons. One, you know, to serve our country, but also to, you know, just just to get away. I was our, I was during that time I was in community college. I was going to be a school teacher. And that's how I was going to school for and Nobody believed me, not even my parents. Nobody believed me that I joined the military. I I guess I wasn't that military quote type of person. But you know what? There was a reason I joined. There was a reason I joined the Navy because had I not joined the Navy, then I wouldn't have met my husband and then I wouldn't be here today. So that was my, it's where I was supposed to be. So you were going to school to be a teacher. And was it kind of like I saw a sign or you got a flyer or you just had this crazy idea. Do you remember like what drew you to the Navy? Because a lot of my ideas are crazy, but they end up turning out good. So that, you know, and I'm, I'm a risk taker, right? I mean, that's a big uh, jump to take. Well, one of the main reasons it was the Navy, because, you know, when you go to, the recruiting offices are like next to each other, right? So they're like, you know, the, the Marines, they had that bar and they wanted you to do a pull up and like, that's, that ain't for me. Cause I can't, I can't, you know, no matter how much training you give me, me in that bar is just not going to do it. You know, of course the other ones, they want to get you in there. And then, you know, the Navy, they had a, you know, their little, their, their sales spill until the, uh, it was it's funny because it's until the, um, the recruiter, he says, oh, I never put a girl in the Navy, but maybe before, you know, and I was like, oh, okay. But, you know, here I'm 19, you know, like, okay. He was more nervous than I was. That's funny. Well, and they got it all wrong. I mean, even none of the guys in the office had recruited a girl, quote, you know. They didn't know what I should bring to boot camp, which I don't know why they didn't have a list. So most of the stuff I brought, because they told me to bring, I had to ship it back because we got issued all that stuff. So here I'm sending a box of stuff back that I didn't even need to take. And I also cut my hair before I went because I was hearing from others, oh, you should cut your hair because they're going to chop it up. And so I ended up chopping it off myself. So Yeah, it would have been helpful if you had my new book that's coming out in September, The Girl's Guide to Military Service. Absolutely. That would have been fantastic. I, yes, actually, that should be the uh, all all military recruiters best resource there to hand out any girl that they uh, recruit. And I say girl sarcastically. Yeah, it that's kind of the idea behind the book is that the young women or girls can walk into the recruiting station and the recruiter can be like, here you go. This will answer all your questions and then come back. And if you have like more specific questions, then I can help you. But it's to get all their questions answered and all the questions that I wish I would have known when I was joining the like, Yeah, Right. You don't, you just take what they know or take what, you know, you, you believe what, cause they should know what they're talking about. Right. So, you know, taking me to the, get to the ASVAB and doing this and telling me, okay, this is your day you're going to go. And these are all the choices you're going to have when you get out of your school and all that stuff. And by the way, you're going to Orlando, Florida in uh, September when it's so humid out there. Yeah. I don't think they have Orlando anymore, but it's Orlando and Chicago. Yeah. So I was probably one of the last um, companies there, one of the last few before they closed Orlando, the recruit training center there in Florida. But I think I'd rather have gone there than to be in the snow in Chicago because I'm not much of a snow person. So I just dealt with the heat. But the heat was great because I lost a lot of weight, got sunburned and the whole thing. So were there any challenges that you faced while you were at boot camp besides not being quite prepared I mean, I think there's a lot of challenges that we all have, right? Just like figuring out why why in the heck did I do this, right? (laughs) You know, and and getting comfortable taking a shower with a bunch of other women or, you know, using the toilet with no door on it. Um, I mean, just those little things, right? You just do it. And just all the, you know, additional physical aspects, you know, the training piece, the food that sucks, the gas chamber, you know, just... Those kind of things. But then also too, you know, meeting, you know, women from, I'm from California. So meeting women from all over the U S just their differences. And I don't say it was a challenge. Well, I made sure I went to church every Sunday cause I volunteered. So I was there, I was like, let me go there. And, uh, and that's also too, where you got some cookies and juice. So, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I remember when it was like an older lady, she was in the military. She was just like the volunteer at the church. And she said, I just don't understand why they treat you girls so mean. It's like, Oh, but you know, we're here. But one of the other interesting things, and I don't know if they still do this, it's, you know, they, they taught you how to brush your teeth. And I just, in, you know, in some ways it's good. In some ways it's kind of sad to think that people come from where they don't know how to have, you know, proper hygiene or things like that. But they literally like, okay, you know, your toothbrush or, and so some ways it's good. And I mean, hopefully they are doing that. because I mean, having proper hygiene is, it's very important to have that. But one of the things I will say, so my maiden name is Davis. So, and now my married name is Washington. So I'm glad I had the Davis because having to stencil Washington, I'd be in there for a long time stenciling my dungarees and my blouse and everything else with that long name. So that, that was a good thing. I'm working on a series for the summer uh, to help women as they join the military tied with the book launch. And she said that the Navy just brought back a two-week life skills course, because they found that a bunch of their recruits didn't know things about finances and like basic stuff like brushing your teeth and dental care and all these things. And some people were like, two weeks is kind of overkill. But I it sounds like they have to cover everything because everyone doesn't come in at the same level. Absolutely. And it's important, right? I mean, you, again, you know, we're, you know, the military, it's, it, you were bringing everybody from all over the, the U S and our experiences are different. Our life experience is different Our you know, where we come from. And I think it's so important, but you know, but that was my first taste of call it sexual harassment there. And again, when you're 19, you just like, yeah, whatever. Kind of thing. So, my company commander, you know, we're out there running and, you know, they don't give you the best bras either, of course. So, and I need a good bra that's not going to bounce. So, we're running and he turns around and he says, Davis, you better put some duct tape on there. You're going to give yourself a black eye. So, it's like, ha ha ha. But then, in some sense, it's harassment, right? Because he's there commenting on my boobs that are bouncing up and down and they're going to hit me in my face. So, yeah, that was one thing i'll never i'll never forget that that day that happening so yeah for him it was just a joke and like something that he said and you still remember it years later i would say i'm bothered by it i mean it's kind of i I, they probably he probably definitely couldn't say that nowadays because you know this was 30 years ago and back then you know they were able to say a lot more nastier things to us than i'm sure they can say to men and women today yeah, but I'm sure he doesn't even remember saying that. Probably and not, because I think, you know, he, well, he, of course he was an older guy, you know, so it's just probably just, so that was just his way of communicating and talking and maybe he shouldn't have been a commander of women in boot camp, you know, I don't know. Yeah. So it sounds like boot camp kind of opened your eyes to a world that you hadn't really seen before. Not only challenging in like the physical sense and being away from California, but also like the sexual harassment and being around so many men. Do you think that would be true? Yeah, and then you know, so we didn't have at that time. It wasn't a combined. The guys, the guys had their own area. We had our own area. So the only like exposure we had to guys was like walking around or your your company commander. So there wasn't a lot of exposure that way. But I think a lot of it was just more of The other women and their experiences, you know, again, coming from California, we're a very diverse world. And I remember this one girl from Louisiana, and she says, and then we had a Filipino woman in there. She's like, she'd never seen a Filipino before. I mean, she had never seen that really a person, an Asian, but it's just, right. It's just as we bring all these people together, we're, you know, we're introducing people to different cultures and different ethnicities. And I think that's, to me, that's one of the great things about being in the military is our, our ways that we can truly work with others that come from different backgrounds. It is. It's a different difference of like culture and experience. And it just changes your worldview. I think the more that you get to know more people and see more of the country and the world. Absolutely. So, what was your career field when you were in the navy? So, my job that you know after I, I took the ASVAB and then they give you like your list of your opportunities and one of them that I was not interested in was being an le- electrician. I'm like, I don't even know how I even qualified for that piece. There's a couple other ones, but the other one was like the other one that I chose was a storekeeper, which was supply. I'm like, well, I can, I can do that. I can purchase things and so that's what I did so my my a school that I went to right after boot camp was in Meridian Mississippi and that was another culture shock for myself and that's yeah so I went there for to learn how to be a a storekeeper and that's actually also where I met my husband too was he going to training or was he at the base So he was there. He had already been in the Marine Corps for four years, but they had closed his MOS because he was in the Gulf War and they closed that MOS. So he was going to a new school. So he was already E4 and he wasn't supposed to fraternize with the rest of us there. So we had the Marines and the Navy there at the Naval Air, which is also the Naval Air Station Meridian. But on the other side was the, the school and that's where... Well, he'd have to tell the story because he tells it better than I do because he, you know, we were playing volleyball and he hit me with the volleyball. And that's kind of that's where it, where it went from there. So, again, having not gone in the Navy, having not joined that, you know, so it was just all those things, right, that where that's where we we're destined to, to be. But then going back to the whole culture thing, which I always like to share, it's just, you know, because my husband's black, I'm white. And people there in um, Mississippi, a lot of them didn't like that. And actually, the base was even closing down. Um, because there was a KKK rally, so I'm like, "Oh my gosh!" What kind of you know? That's a, that. I mean, that's very scary for people, and I, you know, it's probably something maybe a little bit normal for them. But another story, which I always like to share, just to just to really paint a picture of. So by this time, it's well, it's still, it's it's what November, December, 1991, and we were going to go to the movies off of base and we're going to see The Last Boy Scout, which is the movie. So him and I are standing in line, and everybody looked at us. I kid you not. Black people, white people, they were all looking at us, and they kind of just, like, didn't stand by us. So we go in, and it's, you know, it's it's a popular movie, so people are, you know, there, and we go, and we sit down. And nobody sits in front of us. Nobody sits behind us, and nobody sits to the left or right of us. It's just us there. That's, I mean, that. I mean, how can you just paint a, I don't to say a better picture, but a picture of truly what it was like to be there at that time. And I mean, hopefully it's changed some, but just to, to feel that there, you know, just based upon somebody's, you know, the color of their skin, they weren't going to sit by us because they didn't, they didn't like it. And is he from California too, or? He's from Dallas, Texas. And for him too, it's just, it was a shock to experience. But then it, you know, it's just part of who we are now. I mean, it's just something we know and that happened and just i hope like i hopefully that still doesn't go on there today yeah the 90s though isn't like that long ago it's not like it was the 60s you know like right i mean i'm just like wow that was our first date kind of the start of our you know now 27 year marriage but that's where that's where it all began and then i'm guessing you guys got stationed at different places because he was in the marines and you were in the navy how did you stay connected so he went to um, which was El Toro um, Marine Corps Air Station, which is in Orange County, which is no longer there anymore. So that's where he went, and then I went to the way other side of the country to Little Creek, Virginia, on board a rescue salvage ship. So that was my first duty station. So now remember, there was no Google, there was no, there was no like cell phones there is nothing you know it was just the good old-fashioned pick up the phone and and dial the number and hope you know the number kind of thing so that's in letters I mean that's writing letters and and calling each other on the phone that's pretty much what we did and it would have to be something like after work because I really couldn't call them you know in my office there on the ship that's Pretty much how we stayed connected that entire time that I was there, and then I went on a six month Mediterranean, you know, deployment there. So, being gone again, writing the letters and sending cards. It's crazy how technology has changed so much because I knew your answer wasn't gonna be like, Oh, we just FaceTime because my husband commissioned a year before me, and it was in. 2007, and even though there was internet, there wasn't really Skype or FaceTime or anything like that. So we just did phone calls back and forth, and that was how we stayed connected. I mean, that's just the only way you you could stay connected. I mean, even when he, you know, even when he went to deploy too, there was still we would have to write the letters and then put the numbers on them so you knew which one to read in in which order. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your job and what you were doing. They called it a storekeeper. Now it is a logistics specialist. So it's, I guess it sounds better now going on a smaller ship. Cause my ship, there was maybe about a hundred or so of us primarily divers. Cause that was the function of the ship was to salvage things that crashed into the water. So I'm glad that I went to a smaller ship because then I got to learn everything. Because it's pretty just much just me, the you know the chief, and then the supply officer. So you know, ordering the different parts for the ship, doing the inventory, anything that was needed for the ship, and then of course, you know when. The fiscal year came you know to be close to the end you'd have to spend it or lose it so then everybody became my best friend because everybody wanted you know they wanted the boots and the you know just any, anything else the leather mends we can get them so that's what I did and it was it was like I said it was a really good experience having been on there and having that experience because I got more attention in some ways too. Um, and mean, you know, I, I came in as an E2 because I had the college credits. So that helped and helped me get, you know, E3 quicker and then E4 quicker as well. And, and then going on the sixth month to the Mediterranean, went to France and Italy and Spain and Greece and Bulgaria. But what was really cool about the ship is that it was small enough. When we went to Italy, we got to, we pulled into the Venice, in the Venice Canal. That was talk about a cool, very cool experience having that. And, you know, we pull in and we're there for a couple of days and we pull in and a German ship is right there. So the Germans, they were fascinated because here there's women on the ship. So, you know, they want to invite us all over to, to their ship and they had a bar on their ship, you know, so it's just these cultural differences you know having that experience was pretty it's pretty cool you know just being able to to spend the time in there and then you know coming back but you know i'm a, I'm a west coast girl the east coast is just very different military on the east coast and the west coast i'm um, not just say you know we're, we're more flip-flops out here than other uh things i'm like okay I, and you know i kind of had that guy out on the west coast i wanted to get to so i'm like oh i gotta find a way to get out of here so if there's a will, there's a way Melissa will find it, even that there, there is resistance. So somebody had told me there's this thing called a swap. So what you have to do is you have to find a person that is equal rank has pretty much the same time as you, and preferably a woman, because so there were only at that time there are only certain ships that we were allowed on. We were at that time we weren't allowed on the aircraft carriers, and the, you know we were allowed to be on combat ships. So I was like, okay, so I had to find another woman who was on another ship in San Diego. Now, granted, again going back, there was no Google, there was no searches. It was the good old telephone and writing. So I had to call people. My chief was helpful, trying you know finding people on the West Coast to find someone and this and that and. So found her and um, she came out and then I got to go and um, my mom drove out to Virginia and we drove my car cross country to, to San Diego and from there I went on to the USS Acadia, which was a destroyer tender out of thirty-second street in San Diego. The destroyer tenders are all are all decommed now, but so with the destroyer tender the primary focus is to tend the destroyers. So on the destroyer tenders, you have the regular ship functions. So you have your whole engineering department, your electronics people, and then you have a whole other group, the same thing, but they're there to tend the other ships. So if a destroyer needed parts or they needed something fixed or repaired, they would come to our ship and we would make those repairs. So... Now I'm going from this little ship to this big ship. So now my job is a lot less. I'm doing more of a focused job. And of course, when you get there and, you know, I was at E4 at that time, you know, they put you in the storeroom and you start in the big storeroom. But then you get to, you know, learn to drive a forklift. And, you know, there's all these other little things you learn. And then you get to, okay, now I'm in, I'm working in the office now doing, um open contract so if there's like items that weren't available in a navy stock system that was part of my job to do that so not long ago after i got on board uh, we were getting ready to do a six-month deployment so it's 1993 and they're like okay we're going on our west westpac unfortunately the ship had a probably not so great name as the love boat because the ship not that long ago was in um the gulf War, and a lot of women came back pregnant um, so you know you got men and women on a ship and things do happen there. So we did our six month deployment. We start, of course, you go, you know, you start in Hawaii, not a bad spot to to pull into. And that was probably one of the most, I mean, yeah, historical, but emotional experience to man the rails when you're pulling to Pearl Harbor. I mean, just right now just gives me goosebumps. I mean, it gives me goosebumps when you go to visit it, but to pull in on a naval vessel into Pearl Harbor and you're there manning the rails you know, and you're, and you're honoring, you know, everything that, that took place there. So that was, that was a very cool experience. And, you know, from there, you know, you have your schedule of where you're going to go. And of course, sometimes it always doesn't happen the way you would like it to, to happen. This is when Somalia, things were, things were hot and heavy over in, in Somalia. I mean, stuff was, stuff was happening over there. And so with, again, with you know, the other ships I were out with, again, our focus is to help those destroyers. So I spent Christmas of 1993 stationed off the coast of Somalia uh, because we were tending all the destroyers that were supporting all of the Marines and all the others that were, were there. And, of course, all of those guys wanted to find ways to get to our ship because, again, we're the only ship with the women on it, you know, kind of thing. But before that, so my birthday's in November, so I turned 21. But I turned 21 in Bali. We just happened to be in Bali when I turned 21, and I, I was like, hey, you know what? That's that, that pretty cool experience. But the whole, you know, going to Somalia and it's hot there. So when it's you know when it's winter here, it's it's the opposite there. So it was freaking hot out there, hot and muggy and we leave there and then we go into we go to Hong Kong you know spend some time over in the Persian Gulf in Japan Another thing that the Navy does and I hope that they I'm sure that now they could do it online but then what they do is they would fly out college professors out there so I was able to take college courses on the ship so you know any opportunity and, you know you weren't forced to take it but it's opportunity I'm like I'll take some classes because then that just adds you know to that so I would you know take classes on board the ship so going back to the uh Who's now my husband? He's one of those guys that grew up wanting to be in the military, right? It's like, oh, I'm gonna be i am I'm gonna be a marine, and I'm gonna spend my whole life in the Marine Corps. So I'm like, okay. And um, you know, as I saw other people with that whole, you know, being in the military, and the, you know, there's such, you know, some people it didn't work for them, and I'm like, I don't even know if I really want to stay, and I'll be deployed. He's deployable. And, and so now it's 1994. And at that time, President Clinton was downsizing the military. He was in a whole reduction in force. So I raised my hand. I said, I'm one out again, got resistance like, oh, you know, you know, you should stay in, you know, we want you to do this, that, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, nope. You know, they, they, they're they trying to like sell you on it. But the thing in this time, so this, there used to be these, this is not a chip, but an example. I know people can't see it that are listening, but you have to envision that it was this duplicate rectangle piece of paper and it was called a chip and you have to fill it out. And then at the bottom are all the signatures. So it's like this duplicate thing. So I have to submit this like all the way up the chain of command. So you have to get like, you know, I don't remember like five to seven signatures of people. Could there be a chance it gets lost somewhere? Absolutely. At least I'm sure now everything's done online. You just, you know, click it and goes to the next person. So it took me a while to get this go up the chain. And I'm sure those that didn't want me to go, they probably stayed a little longer on their desk. And during that time too, we had a... Um, so I was E4 and I had to, they wanted me to sit for the E5, but E5, I would have been awarded in September, which i that's when I would have gotten out. So I re, I'm like, I'm not going to sit for it because I don't want you guys to say, oh, you were just, we just, you know, you're E5 now. You need to stay in. Like, I'm not playing that. So I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to take it. So I didn't get in trouble, but it wasn't highly uh, favored that I didn't do that. So I, I got out. But the real cool thing is, so I did the three years. And of course, you know, they still want—they still got you on the hook, right, for the, the rest of the time. So I'm like, that's fine. I'm, I'm done because I'm going to marry this Marine and I'm going to be the, the Marine Corps wife and that kind of thing. So this couldn't have been planned better, I tell you. So it's August and our ship out of San Diego needed to come up to Alameda to do some repairs or whatever, because she was going to be decon not that long after and I'm from the Bay Area. I mean, that I mean, literally, the ship brought me home. It pulled in. It pulled in under the Golden Gate. Pulled into Alameda, and I walked off the ship and my home area um, with all my stuff. And I got out of the Navy in, in September, which was great because I was planning our wedding. I, I planned it like in a month because literally I walked off September. We got married October, and he deployed November for his six-month deployment. And that's how my marriage started, and how my active-duty careers stopped and then then I became then I now I'm the rinker wife and that's where all that began yeah that's a crazy story and I think it's so interesting to talk about the history of the military between like the 90s and the 2000s because I grew up then and I didn't even know the military had anything going on I was like blissfully unaware of like all the stuff going on and I've learned a lot in doing these interviews and so it's interesting to hear like you were in the Navy for three years in what is the peace time, but you deployed multiple times and had different experiences and your husband deployed and you guys had to spend time apart, obviously, because you're different branches and... It's just really interesting to hear your story because I didn't really know any of it. I just know what you're doing today. I think it's really important that we talk about these stories, which goes back to our panel that we just did, about how important it is to document this history and to talk about what happened because so many people don't know about anything that women did in the military from the Gulf War. They don't even know present day stuff, but there really is just kind of this like lost history of what happened in between. Oh, absolutely. And it's, and it's so important, especially, you know, as we look at, because when I was getting out in 94, they were starting to outfit the aircraft carriers for women. Because again, st- we still weren't allowed yet, but there was, that process was starting and I'm sure how much, you know, I mean, that's a huge change, but we were on ships because a lot of people like, oh, you know, well, I mean, women been on ships for a long time. There's just certain ones that they let us on, but it was interesting though, because, you know, you can't be on a combat ship, but you can be in a combat zone. I mean, we're right at the coast of Somalia. But we're not a combatant ship, but we've got everybody else there. So it's just it's interesting. But and in a lot of things that I did, it's you know, and I tell you, it's all what I made of it, right? I could have just I mean, I go with the flow and just do, but I'm like, I want to do other things. I want to, I want to get out of here. So I'm going to find a way I can go and be somewhere else. Don't say, well, this doesn't, you know, it's not going to happen. Cause trust me, like I said, people are like, oh, this is not going to happen. They discourage me. I'm like, oh, and I'm going to get out or I'm going to take college classes. I'm going to do, you know, what I need to do or feel like I do. And could I have stayed in? Probably, you know, I was, I was a good sailor. It's hard sometimes for me to follow a direction, which I've, I may feel there's a better way to go. And, you know, it's like, okay, we're going, we have to go this way. Or this is the way we do things. I'm like, okay. So my first job, so I'm going to show you my first job because this is, this is the uh, transferable skills story. Back then, in 1994, you, you faxed a resume, right? You saw the job. And so I saw the job in the newspaper and faxed in my resume. And so I got out that Friday and I started the job Monday. So I didn't really, I didn't have any... Time, I'm just like okay. I'm gonna start this job because again, I was already in Alameda, so I was able to interview because my ship was there and where I'm from. So I applied for this job. It was initially as an office manager. Okay, I could I could do this, and it was for a floor cleaning company. And the only reason that I got the job, whoever else had interviewed, is because I knew how to operate a floor buffer. Because in the Navy, we stripped and waxed the deck, so I knew how to strip and wax a deck. And that's why I got the job because I can strip and wax the decks. I know all about the equipment and the cleaning and how to do that. So that's my, uh, my transferable skills from the Navy that helped me get my first job. So just, they were they were fascinated that, a, a, you know, a woman can operate a floor buffer. So you were already qualified in the job because it was really good related to what you were doing already. But then you had that additional skill of using a floor buffer for the Navy. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then having those because, you know, we had the warehouse where we had the pallets, the products. I mean, I knew how to get on the forklift if, you know, if we needed to. But they were just that was just part of Doing it. And then I ended up being in sales. And so that just the opportunity grew. And also too, because I was in the military, I was able to check that box for the diversity as the company was trying to get new clients. It's like, oh, well, here we have, you know, we have a, a woman who is in the military. So I remember, and, and you'll know exactly where this is. So one of the by that time, we had moved to Southern California. They were trying to get the Los Angeles Air Force Base as a contract. So the janitors, of course, come in at night. That's when they sh- clean. And so I went to Los Angeles Air Force Base with the equipment, with the cleaning products at night to show their their lead person and the guys working there how to use the machine. And it was a trip because, you know, I, I pull in and I got the stuff. And, you know, I, I'd been talking to the lead guy already. And then the other guys, you know, they're speaking Spanish and I know a little bit of Spanish and they were like at, they're like waiting like for the boss to come in, like my boss to come in to show them how to use it. So they're like, No, I am the boss. So like they're looking for jefe. I'm like, no, I'm gonna show you. So it was just kind of this thing. It was it was it was funny because you know, so I'm I'm doing that. But that was a very interesting experience being part of that and understanding you know, so I'm you know, only in my you know my 20s and understanding the whole sales process, commission, how all this business stuff works, how you do these things. And one of the other accounts was and I was like to tell people I spend a whole day in Folsom Prism, prison because they were trying to get Folsom the prison industry as an account. So they send me and a couple other people who fit the diversity blocks. And we got a behind the scenes tour there at Folsom. That was uh, it wasn't like the regular guided tour. We got like the behind the scenes stuff. And um, trust me, I didn't eat that day. They did offer us lunch. I'm like, no, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so I got to see where they made the license plates, the whole, the whole thing. But that's kind of like my experience working. there. There's a lot of other things, a lot of good lessons learned. All these are stepping stones that lead me to do what I'm able to do today. I mean, all those different experiences have some type of effect, whether good or bad on what I'm doing right now. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about what you're doing today because you just had a book that you... collaboration, a contributor of 21 other authors. And you're also running Women Veteran Alliance and Women Veteran Giving, and you have a bunch of other stuff going on. I know that it originally started with 20 women going out to dinner, and now look where it is now. Which reminds me of my blog started with me writing five minutes once a week. And now I have a podcast. Absolutely. Because we all start somewhere. And that's, you know, and you you may not have, you you know, you didn't know me then. And I didn't know you then. But we see where you're at. And I think that's always important to tell people. It's like we all started somewhere. I mean, I just didn't end up in this chapter. I was, you know, a few chapters before is where it started. And and you can start with whether it's the intent or not the intent of of what it's gonna to be today. I mean, I'm sure you probably didn't think this was gonna be what it was when you were doing it, and I didn't feel this was what it's gonna be. And and that's what I wanted to do, you know, having come from, you know, I'd worked in corporate America. Granted, I've owned my own business, you know, I was laid off. I mean, I just had all these different experiences. But one of the things, you know, living here in the Sacramento area is like, you know what? I was looking for the opportunity to connect with other women veterans. I, you know, I connected some in some of the veteran space prior to that. And one of my things that I did before I started was I had actually worked at LinkedIn for four years. I did, I was their global corporate meeting planning for them and went around the world with them. And But then one of the other things before I even started there, I was doing LinkedIn training. I was teaching LinkedIn classes. And I had another book I wrote about, which has LinkedIn, talking about how to use LinkedIn as well that um, I live near Beale Air Force Base. And for the last 10 at least years, I go up every quarter and I do a LinkedIn class for service members that are transitioning and their spouses. So this is outside of the tap because there's is very basic, mine is like, good Stuff. If not, they probably wouldn't have me come back. So that was my still connection to the military and staying connected with the military. And actually, next Tuesday, I'll be going up there to teach the class. The other piece was missing. It's like, okay, I know there's got to be other women. And I knew a handful of women. Um, and that's when I got them together. And I, I just kid you not, I just thought this was going to be every, thir- every Thursday, third Thursday of every month. I'll find a restaurant we'll go to and I'll find a speaker. That's how it started. Then it was just, it was like full speed. I mean, it was. I didn't know the need. And then I saw, then I saw the need. I'm like, oh my gosh, there is such a need for women to be connected. And I remember one of the ladies coming, it was probably like our third or fourth meeting. And she says, I thought I was the only woman veteran in Sacramento. I mean, she was serious. I mean, she really felt like that. I'm like, if she feels like this and here she is retired, and if she feels like them, just seeing how many other women feel that isolation or feel like they're the only one or they're not, you know, or, or women who are not connected to sort of benefits or women who don't consider themselves veterans. I mean, all this stuff was just, it was just happening. And I'm like, oh my. So again, using, you know, a lot of my experience and other things and people that's kind of, that's helped me propel it. Because I could have stopped or I could have just said, you know what, I'm not going to create a website. I'm not going to create a name. I'm not going to get it trademark. You know, this all this stuff where right, you have to do. But I just continued to to do it, and by that time, you know, once I'm like six, seven months in, I'm like, I'm already in the deep end. I mean, I'm I didn't even test the water. I'm already out here, and I'm and I'm going to keep going. I'm going to do what I need to do to to continue this. And here we are, you know, seven years later, and all everything else that's happened in between. Then, yeah, I really love it, and I got to go to the Unconference in October, and you were like, it's not really a conference. And I was like, how is it not really a conference? There's speakers. And then I went and I was like, oh, it's not really a conference. It's just like a big party. And uh, it was so much fun to be with other women veterans and just to be able to hear their stories and connect with them. And you think I'd get enough of that with my podcast, but I guess I just love being around women veterans. And so it was so much fun to be there and to just celebrate everything that we are doing and so I just, I really love the mission and the purpose behind Women Veteran Alliance. And what, and that's what I want. You know, that's what I like. You know, when I look at things, I don't want to create something that's already there, right? I'd rather, let's collaborate with others. But if, if I can find ways to fill a gap and to bring something like the unconference, because like I said, it's not your typical conference. Why does it have to be a boring conference? You know, and it's like, granted, not all conferences are. And I, you know, and I honestly feel now, especially with, COVID, a lot of these conferences are going to go that route where they're going to have that wellness piece. I mean, we had, you know, childcare forever at our unconference. I was at the first time we did not And that was a a complaint women had. They said, I can't come because I don't have childcare. I'm like, let's make that happen the next one. And again, that should be something that's for all conferences. They should have, you know, if you want to get more women, because even if it's not just being a single mom, it could be a, you know, a woman that has a partner or spouse that may need the the childcare. So let's, you know, stop these barriers from women from coming. And and that just goes back to my experience at LinkedIn. You know, I did all these corporate, you know, I did all these planning for events and I speak at events. So it's like that. So what I did is I took a little bit of everything that I've experienced and then I put it all into the the unconference. And the only thing is with the unconference is granted, you know, when I worked at LinkedIn, I'd have like a million dollar budget or whatever. Now I have to go out and I have to find the money to be able to cover the cost. For the conference, so that was like my first lesson learned, and I do share that in the in the the book, which I know we'll talk about. So in in the book, I pretty much talk about the beginning of starting Women Veterans Alliance, so pretty much current and and you know, and I share some lessons learned in there. And that first one was the unconference that I did is I I didn't charge enough because I truly believed that we were going to have companies wanting to sponsor, just like. You know, I, I just thought people are saying, oh, "Yeah, you know, we want to be a sponsor. Here's five thousand dollars." Yeah, that didn't happen. We've we've gotten better, and I just you know I have to understand our community a little bit better. And so it's just you know it's 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 a business. I mean, that's literally what this has become. It's like make you know it's created created a business and the, and the fails and things that I've done that some people may be surprised when they read, like, "Oh, I didn't know that happened." Going back to the whole storytelling, I want to show that. I mean, being transparent, I'm. I'm Things I I, I oopsed on. I mean, it didn't affect anybody's life directly. It affected my life directly, my family's life directly, because when it comes to financial things. But you know, I I made it work, and here you know, here we are today. Yeah, being a business owner is a lot of oh (laughs) that didn't work. Oh, I need to find a new way, or lots of learning and. I think failure is an important part of being a business owner, but it's not really failure. It's more like, oh, that didn't work. I have to try something new instead of being like, oh, that didn't work. I'm horrible. It's just that didn't work. I need to try something new or I need to learn something new or I need to connect with someone who is better at that and collaborating. And what I think is great about. How Women Veteran Alliance connects women veterans is that we can support each other in things that we're doing and working together. And I went to Podcast Movement in 2019 because they had child care because my husband's in the military and he was TDY. And I got invited to speak, but he already had this TDY scheduled. And then the lady who, told me, who asked me to speak was like, oh, they have child care. And I was like, oh, well, then I can go. And so that was really... It made it possible for me to go because I'm a military spouse and I live in Virginia and I didn't have someone who I could have watched my kids for a week so that I could go. And so it worked out really good that they had that child care and then they even got a sponsor. So it was free child care, which was even better. It really opened up the door for me to be able to go to the conference because they had that available. You know, those are things that, you know, we have to see, right? To under, you know, and once we see that, okay, how can we feel that need so she can get there? And that's, you know, and that leads even to why I started Women Veterans Giving, which is the nonprofit partner. And, you know, and one of those things is that, that gap in that need. One, how can we get more women to come to the unconference that may not be able to financially afford it? Well, let's create scholarships for them. And that's what we, we've done since, I think, 2018 is we've had scholarships and, help women get there right and give them the opportunity um, to be part of that because then what happens a lot of times those women come they may end up becoming members or they end up coming back the next year and they're paying for it you know what i'm saying so it's like that's empowerment that's like how can i find ways to empower her to come so just even by them paying for your childcare, that empowered you to do what you you do and now you've turned around and helped empower others so if we can continue to find ways that doing things that we're good at or finding ways that we can do that and that's one of them and then with Women Giving the other one's the, the small business or me being a small business owner which I am and we we know you got to have money to do stuff I mean you know it's great but you got to you got, you got to pay for, I'm sure, this program you have, right? And you have to pay for all these things. And at, once you're a business owner, you know that there's a cost. And whether you're running a nonprofit or not, I mean, you still—that's still a business. You still got to pay for things. And doing what I've done, and again, I, you know, I share in the the book. You know, I refinanced my house. I took from my 401k, I credit cards because I wanted to continue to do this. That's how much that meant. I mean, I knew eventually it all it all work itself out. But I'm like, let's do this because I, if I'm gonna keep continuing to do this, there has to be money coming in, you know, cause we used to, we were, well, now we are back finally a two person income. Cause that's what we have, and It's like, okay, but what if there's that woman that wants to do all this, but she doesn't have those other things? How can we help her? How can we help her get a loan? Because you know, after doing research and finding out a lot of times our women veterans aren't able to get loans or veterans in, the, in general may not even have credit, which I just, I was just, I really didn't think about it until, you know, I was reading this one story because some veterans may not, they, when they're in the military, they may not have needed credit. Um, so how do you, how do you get a FICO score? How do you get right, you know, that kind of thing. So if I can help women infuse, a, you know, a little bit of cash into her, whether it's her idea or her business, let's do it. We've given over fifteen thousand dollars to date to you know women veterans and helping you know in the in the programs continuing to evolve itself with that because I I rarely see anything that's specifically for women veterans I mean there might be something women there might be something yeah veterans and we should be part of all these but having that opportunity. And it also, too, it brings awareness that women serve in the military. Everything I do, two reasons. One, it's awareness and everything that comes in with that, bringing awareness that women serve to our community, bringing awareness to our community, but also, too, bringing that there's also that financial piece. So those are, like, my two, like, things that I do, and they each help each other to help women. And that excites me, like, every time I think about, you know, the ways we can help her help her out. And that's why the nonprofit started. And then also to helping women veterans get on boards and having experience, you know, being on a board with that. And again, you know, we got to do what we've got to do to make it happen And in 2020, you know, with COVID I'm like, well, you were, you were, you are one of the finalists. I'm like, man, are we going to have money to pay, f- you know, to award this? I had a garage sale that year. I was finding any ways I can find to get money because they're just, you know, we had to cancel our fundraiser. So there's just all these things. It's like, I'm going to do whatever I need to do to fund this program. So yes, so that's, uh, I know I probably kind of went a whole other direction than what we were talking about. It kind of like led into to that, that piece there. And one of the things that I wanted to talk about for the book is that you're now trying to... You're in the women veteran community and you're doing great things, but we need to share our stories outside the women veteran community. And you're one of two veterans. You said there's 21 women who wrote in the book and you're one of veterans. And so it's giving you the opportunity to share your story with a whole new audience that can start to find out about what women veterans are doing and what they have done. And so how important is that in your mission forward? One hundred percent. It's taking it. Would I have thought of doing this three years ago? Uh, Maybe, but it's time, right? It's like, okay, how can I continue to grow, whether it's up or sideways? How can I continue our mission and and bringing more the awareness piece? And like you mentioned, yeah, you know, I I got a good grasp in the women veteran community. Now, how can I get the other, you know, ninety something percent of people that never served to know about what we're doing? The best way is get in a book that's not women veteran focused. It's about what I've done about creating this opportunity. And I feel having this and you should see, I mean, the other women are phenomenal women that are in this book. So they're selling their books to the people that they know. Now more people are going to read like, oh, here is this, you know, this chapter about this women veterans group, but also too, it's, yeah, it's, it's also about women veterans, but it's also about Being a business owner, it's about being unstoppable. That's what, you know, the book is. It's about creating this opportunity. And, you know, and I've wanted to, I started, I had started to write the book prior to being invited to be an author. I'm like, okay, well, this makes sense. Then I can do this because I also, when I started Women Veterans Alliance, the thought was to have chapters. So I had created this whole how to start a chapter piece, um, which I was going to have in the book. So it's not in this book. So I've created in the ebook, which is so you read the book, the club, the unstoppable book. And then if you're like, Oh, you know what, how can I start something like this in my community, I'm giving you a checklist now of everything you need to do. So it doesn't have to be women veterans, it could be, you know, women who love brown dogs group, or it's a car club. It's, it's like, it's all it's a book club. It's, you know, it's a Bible studies, whatever. It's the same kind of thing. So I've created this whole checklist of how to start that, which is again, the second piece to the, the book there, as far as what I talk about creating all of this, all these things, all these things have happened. And that's where I'm at. And so I'm very excited about this book, which of course, you know, we have on Amazon, you can buy it online or buy the, um, the copy on our, our website. And it's a pretty, I mean, it's something, I mean, you could really probably read like in a day of all the, you know, all the women, so, you know, it's, it's a, you know, it's a good size book and you're going to learn all these, you know, these stories and these how to's. And I love the way that they asked me to write it because they want you to tell the, your story. Then they want to, then they want you to give it what's the, what they call the tool. So it's like the how to. So some of mine is like the how to. And then I go more into the, the ebook, more in detail. And I like checklists. So even in my first book I wrote, Get Back to Work, there's all these like checklists in there that I wrote um, as well. Yeah, it sounds really good. And I read the introduction and I was like, "Ooh, that's got to go on my to read list. because I've been trying to read more books this year. And so is there anything else from your time in the military or what you're doing today that we didn't cover? No, I mean, a lot of it's just, you know, being my experience in the civilian world. And of course, being Marine Corps wife and having, you know, that experience and well, I mean, and, and you know, too, you understand it's like, we understand what it likes to be a woman veteran, but we also understand what it's like to be a spouse. We know those two camps because we live in those, live or lived in those two camps and, and what that means. And, you know, and, and I've been asked before too, you know, having been married, you know, for Marine for so long, because I've, I've been a spouse, I was a spouse longer than I was in the military. It's like, well, why aren't you on the the spouse camp? I'm like, I can be, but I understand that can't. But to me, there's been so many more resources for spouses than it has been for the woman veteran, and I feel I've been I I can be, and I will continue to be more of an advocate, and I can bring more awareness, and I can use mine to bring that to bring. I don't want to say our struggle, but I mean we're just so unrecognized, right? It's just how c- we need to bring her to the forefront. And that's why I feel that I've done. I mean, you know, perfect example, you know, when you go into the exchange and you go into the women's section for the military, it says the wife, right? It's like, navy wife. Okay, well, where's the other stuff for that, whether it's active duty or it's a veteran? and Even it's those little things that can make such a difference. And that's why, you know, creating my store and having all those things on there and, you know, promoting you know, women and the, the authors and the books. We need to be that. And, you know, for me, of course, I also collaborate with other women veteran groups and other ways we can we can collaborate but we still have more work to do when it comes to to women veterans there and i'm just gonna keep on going yep that's awesome i feel the same inner tension but it was funny when i was starting my podcast my military spouse friends were like oh no you have to focus on women veterans who cares about spouses oh that's good that's good and they were like i want to know those stories and i feel they felt The same way. Like, there's already resources out there for spouses, but they didn't know of any for women veterans. And I didn't know of any for women veterans until I started to get involved. And so they were the ones who pushed me in the direction that I'm in. And so whenever people are like, why don't you? I'm like, I talked to the spouses. They told me to go this way. um, I always like to end the podcast interview with what advice would you give to young women who are considering military service? Talk to another woman that has served, don't take the word of Uncle Joe. (laughs) right? Because everybody has that one, like, oh, we'll go talk to your Uncle Joe, you know, like, no, no, you know, if you can find another woman, whether she's serving or currently, you know, serving, I feel that's so important. I can just, and you know, of course, and you have in your book, I mean, how how critical that's going to be for the success to me having that resource, it's going to help make her more successful. You know, one of the things that I had started here, but kind of got sidetracked is having a mentor program to where, we can match women up that are getting ready to serve with other women that are already out because having that person, right? Because we know women join for different reasons. Some are joining to like escape something. Some women have no family, which, you know, that opens your eyes to join the military. Like you don't have family. So if they had like a mentor, a person, right, that can be that resource. I think that's so, that's so important for her success. And of course, by Amanda's book, that's probably, that's, that's huge. And And congratulations. That's, that's very exciting. Thank you. And I am actually, I just launched a mentorship program for that exact thing, because I think it's so important, not only for the young women who are joining the military, but really for us, the women veterans, to be able to give back to the next generation. I found so much joy and passion in helping women as they join the military. And so I'll link to that in the show notes if you want to join and yeah. No, I, w- I want to promote that because it's right. It's like, for me, I was fortunate. I had like the mom and the aunt who would send me care packages. And then you have those that they got nothing. But just think if you had a mentor, she could, I mean, just those little things, right? She could be that person that's going to send you that card or send you whatever you want. I mean, I'm saying that you're looking, at that big, looking for the relationship because of those things, but that's part of it, right? You just, you have that person you can call, you can FaceTime with, or if it's good or bad, you have someone you can you can share that with that can also help you and you can, you know, it's forming friendships and it's that's a woman thing, right? It's just that, that networking, that connectivity piece that, that we do. And that's, that's been such a missing link when it comes to our military women. Yeah. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. And I'm so excited that I got to hear about your story and just get to have this conversation. Yes. Thank you so much, Amanda. for listening to this week's episode. If this is your first time listening to Women of the Military podcast, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes on the podcast. There are so many episodes and stories of women who've served in the military who can inspire you at whatever stage of the journey you're in. Joining, serving, leaving the military, or just learning about the women who have served in the military. If you want to support Women of the Military podcast, you can go to patreon.com Slash women of the military, and if you enjoyed Women of the Military podcast, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app to help the podcast grow and reach more women who are considering military service.